KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Good evening, I'm Claudio Mendonça. Kelly Reese returns on Wednesday. The last person detained by ICE at the Yuba County Jail was released on Wednesday, October 27th. Ricardo Vasquez Cruz was the last remaining person in ICE custody at the facility. The California Report talks with members of the Free the Yuba 11 Coalition before sitting down with U.S. Senator Alex Padilla about his immigration reform goals and his upcoming election campaign. National Native News covers efforts to halt wolf hunting in Wisconsin, and after regional headlines and weather, we'll take a walk in the park with Sid Brown. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Open enrollment begins today for Covered California, the state's health insurance marketplace. Expanded federal subsidies will make 2022 health insurance policies far more affordable. The American Rescue Plan, which was signed by President Biden, will help consumers in all income brackets by paying for an average of 90% of their monthly health insurance premiums. Those who are interested can sign up online over over the phone or at one of several covered California field offices across the state. And this weekend, activists and supporters gathered at San Francisco's Dolores Park to celebrate the release of the last remaining person detained by Immigration and Customs Enforcement at the Yuba County Jail. KQD's Asul Dahlstrom Ekman reports. Ricardo Vasquez Cruz had been held at the jail for over three years. Edwin Carmona Cruz is a member of the Free the Yuba 11 Coalition. He says ICE has been mistreating people in its custody. Our community partners have been consistent with documenting the human rights abuses, the inhumane conditions, the lack of COVID safety protocols, and how just dangerous and unnecessary detention is in general. The coalition is now advocating that federal officials end ICE's contract with the jail. ICE's website states that detainees live in, quote, safe, secure, and humane environments, end quote. They did not immediately respond to a request for comment. For the California Report, I'm Azul Dahlstrom-Ekman in San Francisco. A new organization in California hopes to help people who've been released from prison reintegrate back into their communities. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi has the details. The Reentry Providers Association of California, or REPAC, is the nation's first statewide coordinated effort to help formerly incarcerated people succeed on the outside. Sean Huff is with the advocacy group Californians for Safety and Justice, and is a board member for REPAC. He says while jobs are an important aspect of the reentry process, people need to find careers. We're positioning people not just to reenter, but to be successful, and not really keeping people trapped into this incarceration poverty or post-incarceration poverty that traps a person in, in, in this class where you can never get ahead. Huff says REPAC also plans to work with providers to connect those who are formerly incarcerated with the services they need. What about those with mental health issues or just dealing with the, a lot of the trauma that often led to the bad decisions that we made? How do we get connected to a public health provider, right? How do I look at a person's complete health and well-being? California releases as many as 35,000 people each year who have either finished their sentence or been paroled. Those numbers have soared during the pandemic in an effort to ease crowding. Organizers say that's placed even more importance on reentry programs in the state. For the California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi.
Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash adapting care. Paint Care. Now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at PaintCare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together. On the web at SchmidtFutures.com. There's been a lot of attention in recent weeks on the passage of the Biden administration's massive social spending legislative package called Build Back Better. But the White House also says it's committed to immigration reform, ultimately creating a pathway to citizenship for the 11 to 12 million undocumented who live in this country. A key figure in that effort is California's U.S. Senator Alex Padilla. Padilla himself is the child of immigrants from Mexico and is the first Latino to represent the Golden State in the Senate. Because of Republican opposition to a regular legislative vote, Padilla is putting his hopes on a complicated process called budget reconciliation to get immigration reform passed. He talked to the California Report about that and his own political future. I'm hopeful that we're going to make some significant progress on uh, uh, the immigration front here through the budget reconciliation package. And again, a reminder, the reason we are so focused here is because Republican senators, all 50 of them, refuse to, uh, I think, negotiate in good faith. I've heard a lot of, you know, we support dreamers, we support farm workers, but but, but, but an excuse after excuse after excuse. So if we're able to uh, utilize precedent of when Republicans were in the majority and changed immigration laws through budget reconciliation in 2005, with that as precedent, if we're able to do the same and do right by dreamers, TPS holders, farm workers, all essential workers, the goal here is to provide as much security and protection to as many uh, immigrants as possible. And I'm uh, feeling good about our chances here. Why? I mean, the Senate parliamentarian, I won't get in the weeds on this too much, but the Senate parliamentarian, who's basically the arbiter of what can be in reconciliation, what can't, has ruled against you a couple of times now. So what gives you that confidence? Right. I'm confident because, uh, you know, we have compelling arguments, not just moral arguments, but solid economic arguments to be made. The parliamentarian's initial, uh, you know, sort of denials of uh, the first proposal that we put in front of her was just that. It was a note to a specific proposal, not to doing uh, immigration changes through reconciliation as a whole. So uh, we have a plan B, we have a plan C, we have alternative proposals that we believe meets the uh, criteria of the reconciliation process. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, optimistic that we're going to be a successful when this is all said and done. And Senator, beyond immigration, one question about you. Um, You were not elected to this position that you're in as U.S. Senator from California. You were selected by Governor Gavin Newsom to fill the empty seat left by Kamala Harris when she became vice president of the United States. Uh, But you will face voters next year in an election. You've already announced that you will be running. What will be your argument to the people of California that you deserve to keep this job? You know, a better response to the COVID-19 pandemic. We saw the prior administration in denial of COVID. And uh, among my first acts as a member of the Senate was to help craft and vote for the American Rescue Plan. And you look at the relief that's meant for working families, for small business owners, for state and local governments, and vaccines, vaccines, vaccines. You know, California is uh, one of the leading states when it comes to vaccine distribution, shots in arms. 
and we see the uh, lower uh, case counts as a result. I'm proud of that. So I'm here to make it count, make every day count. That's U.S. Senator Alex Padilla of California. And that's the California Report for Monday, November 1st. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. Up next, a federal judge declines to halt wolf hunting in Wisconsin, and tribes push back on a proposal for an advanced nuclear reactor at the Hanford site on the Columbia River in Washington state. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. On Friday, a federal judge declined to issue a new order to halt Wisconsin's wolf hunt, but it's still not clear whether the hunt will proceed this fall. Rob Mincer has more. The state's wolf hunt, scheduled to begin next Saturday, was already on pause due to an injunction from a Dane County judge that has prevented the state from issuing permits. But in a separate case, six Ojibwe tribes asked a federal judge to block the hunt on the grounds that allowing it to proceed would do irreparable harm to the state's wolf population. And that judge decided not to make a ruling unless the state case is overturned on appeal. So far, state officials have declined to say whether they will appeal. In February, Wisconsin hunters killed 218 wolves in just three days, well in excess of the state's quota of 119. Gussie Lord is an attorney for Earth Justice. She says the, quote, botched February hunt has made it impossible to know how many wolves are left in Wisconsin. There's just so many unknowns here that it's certainly our position that it's, you know, it's not time for another hunt in the same year, the first year the species taken off the endangered species list. Hunting advocates say a growing wolf population threatens livestock and pets. For National Native News, I'm Rob Menser. Tribes are opposing an advanced nuclear reactor proposal at the Hanford site in Washington, Eric Tigodoff reports. The Confederated Tribes of the Umatilla Indian Reservation have sent a letter to the U.S. Department of Energy saying they don't support the company X Energy's small modular reactor proposal. Mason Murphy is Energy and Environmental Science Program Manager for the tribes. He says the Hanford Nuclear Reservation near the Columbia River is partially within tribally ceded territory under the Treaty of 1855. Because of that, we anticipate that the small modular nuclear reactors may have impacts on all of the following resources, specifically state and federally listed plants and wildlife, big game habitat, historic properties of religious and cultural significance as defined in the National Historic Preservation Act. X-Energy's proposal involves advanced nuclear reactor technology that could produce more than 300 megawatts of power. The Department of Energy awarded the company $80 million in initial funding in 2020. The company says the technology is based on safe, clean, and affordable technology. The Hanford nuclear site was chosen during World War II to produce much of the country's plutonium for 40 years. That also meant a lot of waste, which is a concern for the tribes. Murphy says there's no solution for long-term storage of nuclear waste, some of which has half-lives of 15 million years. He worries what will happen if nuclear projects continue to be built there. To me, that would indicate that they are likely to continue developing that nuclear mission, and those resources may never become available if that were the case. Murphy says the Department of Energy has committed itself to pursuing environmental justice and should consider what that means in this situation. Some of these larger cleanup sites like the Hanford site represent some of the largest environmental injustice sites. And I think that we need to really ensure that that's being taken into consideration when starting to cite some of these technologies. 
In 2007, the tribe's board of trustees adopted a policy that there should be no new nuclear energy production at the Hanford site without government-to-government consultation. Murphy says the Department of Energy has agreed to meet but has yet to set a date. I'm Eric Tegadoff. Google is kicking off Native American Heritage Month with an interactive doodle. The Google Doodle honors the late Zuni Pueblo weaver, potter, and fiber artist Wiwa. The late Wiwa was a revered cultural leader devoting their life to cultural preservation. Monday's Google Doodle celebrates the art of weaving. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Smithsonian's National Museum of the American Indian presenting the annual Native Cinema Showcase. 47 films representing 39 Native nations in 13 countries available from November 12th to the 18th on demand at AmericanIndian.si.edu. This reminder to get your COVID-19 vaccination is provided by the Association of American Indian Physicians and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention who support this show. Info at aaip.org or cdc.gov slash coronavirus. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Locally, Nevada County reported 82 new confirmed COVID-19 cases today. This figure includes October 30th and 31st. 156 cases are active and 11 are hospitalized. According to the state, over 124,000 doses of the vaccine have been administered here in Nevada County. Ubinet.com reports that 63.6% of eligible Nevada County residents are now fully vaccinated. The California Department of Fish and Wildlife, the Department of Cannabis Control, and the State Water Resources Board announced today that they will host an online commercial cannabis cultivation permitting workshop on Wednesday, November 17th from 10 to 11.30 a.m. At the meeting, the Department of Cannabis Control will provide an overview of the state's cannabis cultivation licensing program and review their requirements for commercial cannabis farming. The California Department of Fish and Wildlife will cover their online notification system, what types of permits are issued, and other compliance requirements. The State Water Board will review the cannabis policy, permitting processes, and other information. The workshop is free and no registration is required. Questions can be submitted in advance of the event by sending an email to askcannabis at wildlife.ca.gov with Cannabis Webcast as the subject line. More information about this workshop can be found at cannabis.ca.gov. The Cal Fire Nevada Yuba Placer Unit stated today in a tweet that they're taking advantage of weather conditions by burning fuel piles of brush and felled trees. Today's burn is part of an ongoing collaborative effort between Cal Fire and state parks to reduce hazardous fuels, improve forest health, protect watershed, and the public. The Northern Sierra Air Quality Management District's website shows that open burning is allowed both today and tomorrow in Nevada County. Residents are advised to burn only natural vegetation that grew on the property where the burning will take place. Burning garbage, construction debris, painted wood, and plastics is not allowed. 
Recommended burn hours are 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., and a CAL FIRE burn permit is not required at this time. Burning is always prohibited inside the city limits of Nevada City and Grass Valley. Turning now to weather, in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight showers likely, mainly before 11 p.m., then cloudy with a low around 48. Tomorrow, partly sunny with a high near 62. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight a 40% chance of rain, mainly before 11 p.m., then cloudy with a low around 34 degrees. Snow level 8,600 feet. Tomorrow will be cloudy before gradually becoming mostly sunny with a high near 54. In Sacramento and the Valley, tonight a 50% chance of showers, then cloudy with a low around 58. Tomorrow mostly cloudy through mid-morning, then gradually clearing with a high near 68. Up next, we take a walk in the park with Sid Brown. This week, she updates us on conditions of local trails and shares a special detail about Empire Mine State Historic Park. This week, I decided to redo my grand tour of our three parks and do it in a single day. And I chose a really lovely autumn day to to see all three parks. I started down at Bridgeport, where the Bridgeport Covered Bridge restoration project is nearing completion. It is so close. So really excited that that is going to come back into public use here very soon. The waters of the Yuba River were running clear. The colors were gorgeous. The trails are in great shape. So South Yuba River State Park spans from downstream of the Bridgeport Covered Bridge all the way up past Humbug Creek, past Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park. There's mixed ownership in there. There's some private land and there's some Bureau of Land Management property as well as Bear Yuba Land Trust property and U.S. Forest Service property all along the river corridor. But South Yuba River State Park is managed as a composite whole primarily for its wild and scenic and natural amenities and conditions. It's a very beautiful, special place here, obviously, in Nevada County. People are going to the river, a bit cold for water contact, but the trails along the river are still just very delightful. And down at Bridgeport, of course, the Buttermilk Bend Trail is in great shape, as is Point Defiance. The Independence Trail at Highway 49 downstream of Highway 49 is still closed due to the Jones Fire, but the upstream segment of Independence Trail all the way up to Hoyt's and um, Miner's Tunnel is open. And we hope to do some improvements on that trail as well. So hopefully in the next year or so, the the western segment of that trail will reopen. Our park staff is working on some realignments and getting FEMA funding to do reconstruction of some of the structures that were lost due to the Jones Fire a year ago. With the change in weather, of course, the visitation is way less at the river, and so our concerns over parking have abated somewhat. But I'll tell you that the concerns over fire have not abated at all. We still have a very significant concern with regard to wildfire. 
So we really encourage people to not smoke, no fires at the river. There is a real hard closure on barbecues and warming fires and anything along the interior canyons there that could escape. Even though we had a great rainstorm last week, that in no way ended the concern over wildfire. It doesn't take much for a dry wind to to pick things up and dry things out, and then we'll be in big trouble. So please, no fires at the river at all, and remember to leave no trace. These parks are parks that can be enjoyed all the year round, and it's really up to all of us to keep them nice, clean, safe, and functioning in all the wildlife and the vegetation in a healthy way. At Malakoff Diggins and the town of North Bloomfield, which is entirely within the State Historic Park, the last time I was there, it was I had the entire place to myself. It was uh, a ghost town, and it was a beautiful day, and there's some photos that we put up on the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation Facebook page showing the beautiful autumn colors. And also, I discovered there's a brand-new ADA-accessible trail off the road, right off the Diggins Overlook on North Bloomfield. So it's within Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park. It's toward the river from the town of North Bloomfield before you get to the Hiller Tunnel. And there's a sign. It, I think it shows a ADA parking spot. There's a little paved area and a an interpretive panel about the Malakoff Village site. And that new trail, it's a short little trail. Oh, gosh, I can't even tell you how long it is. But it's all on elevated, compact rock with mine rock that you could easily do a wheelchair or a stroller out to a brand new overlook that looks out into the diggings. At Empire Mine, school groups are coming back, and I think they're scheduling. And Empire Mine is one of only 19 parks that have been selected as a special site for fourth graders and their families to visit throughout the year. And then I wanted to tell you one more thing, because I try to do something special for each park each time we speak. And I don't know that I've ever talked about the secret room at Empire Mine. To keep track of the mine's underground workings, there is this place they called the secret room, and they called it that because the windows were blacked out during the mine operation. And so most people didn't even know that room existed when the mine was operating, but that room holds a model, a scale model, of the underground workings at Empire Mine. And uh, when you go... Down the actual shaft in the park, there's the part where you can just go at the head of the shaft and kind of take a look in. If you go one inch on the model, that's as far as you can go in real life from the historic mine yard. And uh, they say that anything past two inches on the model, and you'll be underwater in the actual mine. So most of those workings have been flooded by groundwater. So that's a little special thing about Empire Mine. Oh, I do get uh, inquiries about how to volunteer. There is a program that State Parks conducts for potential volunteers. And if you want more information about that, you can call the State Park office at Empire Mine, which is 530-273-8522. And Sierra Gold Parks Foundation website can be viewed at Sierra Gold Parks org. That's org. 
See you next time. And that concludes our newscast for today, this first day of November 2021. You can listen to this and other newscasts, plus extended versions of our features like today's walk in the park, on our website, kvmr.org, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. KVMR gets support from Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners, carrying environmentally safe, remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support. Serving Northern California counties, also San Francisco to Lake Tahoe. MilkmanCompany.com Don't touch that dial. Coming up at 6.30, we bring you Disability Rap with Carl Sigmund and Carly Pacheco. Tonight, they talk with Rebecca Coakley, a program officer in the President's Office at the Ford Foundation, about how some of the proposed elements of the Build Back Better package would greatly improve the lives of people with disabilities in this country. Then at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now!, and at 8, it's The Women's Show with April Miranda. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for listening, and have a wonderful evening.